The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. My prayer is that you will be strengthened by these readings. The insight in which Mr. Rushduni had is significant, not only then, but in today's day as well. But in no way should it replace your own studies in the Scriptures. And I do pray that you will take what you learn and apply it to every area of your life and thought. Education and Decadence, Chalcedon Position Paper, number 77. On June 19, 1986, USA Today carried an editorial on the, quote, crack, unquote, epidemic. Quote, crack, unquote, is a form of refined cocaine which the editorial said, quote, causes convulsions, brain seizures, heart attacks, respiratory problems, and severe vitamin deficiencies. It leads to paranoia, depression, suicide, and homicide, unquote. In a, quote, sampling, unquote, of opinions from coast to coast, seven persons were quoted as to the answer to the question, quote, what can we do about the crack epidemic, unquote. Three of the seven called for more education of our students. Three called for stricter law enforcement. One of these three called for more information to children from their parents. And the seventh felt the solution was, quote, to have a hands across America to fight drugs, unquote. None mentioned Christian faith and life as the solution. All believed in the great delusion of our time, namely that human problems can be resolved by technical means rather than by faith and character. It can with merit be argued that our law enforcement agencies other than the courts are better now than 50 years ago. There is no lack of zeal on the part of the police in many areas to enforce the law. Even if the courts were as good as we would like them to be, this still would not alter the delinquent and suicidal bent of youth and adults alike. 
No man who takes Scripture seriously can believe so. Proverbs eight thirty five through 36 tells us plainly, quote, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Unquote. Law enforcement is a necessity in any godly society, but it protects rather than creates godliness. When the lawbreakers far outnumber the police, a society is in trouble. When, besides lawbreakers, we have an antinomian population which pits a lawless love against God's law, we have death facing a society. Pour all the antibiotics and drugs you can into a dead man, and it will not heal him. Too often, also, a body without the will to live resists curative medicine, but gives ground readily to a disease, because its resistance is gone. Societies, too, can reach a point where their sickness is more prized by the body politic than any cure. Evidence for this fact can be found on most editorial pages. Whether or not this truly represents society in the main will be determined in the next decade. Education today is a part of the problem, not the cure. Proverbs 1.7 tells us, quote, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, unquote. This means that the neglect of God and His Word is the beginning of ignorance and death, because the fools have despised the source of wisdom. It can be asked if our state schools today are not educating for death. Christ being the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Statist education today is suicidal in its impact because of its emphasis on evolution and equalitarianism. If evolution is true, then all things are the product of chance. Instead of absolute truth and order undergirding all creation, we have chance and meaninglessness as ultimate. This means that, quote, truth, unquote, is an evolutionary and a changing thing, and we cannot be bound by past truths as we face the future. Law is then the evolving experience of mankind, and the criminal is perhaps an evolutionary pioneer, as some have held. To further evolution, it becomes necessary to break up old forms of law and order to facilitate evolutionary growth. Such a perspective reduces past, present, and future to meaninglessness. Instead of being the great force for progress, as early evolutionists believed, the doctrine of evolution has worked to destroy the belief in progress. Reason also has come to be seen since fraud as another fallen idol. Equalitarianism has been no less destructive, especially when linked with evolutionary faith. Equalitarianism cuts the ground out from under authority and obedience. Given equality is an article of faith, every man is as good as everyone else or as bad. If we were as good as the next man, why submit to his authority? When then should we obey him? We have on all sides in the church and out of it a general spirit of rebelliousness, a refusal to submit to authority. In Sweden today, we see the extremes of this. It is illegal to maintain discipline and authority by spanking one's daughter, but not illegal to have sexual relations with her. The one act asserts authority and the need for obedience. The other 
applies equality. Thus, we see everywhere savage disagreements and even court contests because people refuse to submit to authority where only minor matters are involved. One woman took after her husband with a butcher's knife because seeing the sinks and drain boards piled high with dirty dishes, pots, and utensils, he dared to suggest that perhaps she ought to wash the dishes. Her statement later was, quote, How dare he lay down the law to me? Who does he think he is? Unquote. If no one is higher in authority than we are, how then can anyone tell us what to do? Given this perspective, the proposed Children's Bill of Rights is logical. Children have as many, quote, rights, unquote, as their parents. Given to the fact of evolution, the next generation must be, quote, free, unquote, to express itself and to develop without the governance of, quote, the dead hand of the past, unquote. Equalitarian education is thus a training ground for social anarchy and chaos. It is a form of social suicide since it subverts the normal order of education, the importation of the learning skills and the faith of the past in order to provide for stability and growth tomorrow. Moreover, modern education in terms of Dewey's philosophy sees truth as pragmatic and instrumental. Truth then becomes whatever works for us. The consequences of such a belief are far-reaching and deadly. If, quote, truth, unquote, is a pragmatic and instrumental thing, it changes as circumstances change. There is then no fixity of good and evil. Men will not willingly die for a truth which may change tomorrow, and neither will they live for it. Men and societies then see bare survival as the only value, if a value at all. For them, nothing is important enough to make a stand for because all things are equally meaningless. Otto Scott has wisely observed that a people are decadent when they will no longer defend themselves and their culture. Our era is cynical of the concept of decadence. Richard Gilman in Decadence 1975 called the concept the refuge of the, quote, shallow, the thoughtless, and imitated, the academically frozen monkey minds, unquote. This is a simple device to rule out all who disagree. With respect to Oscar Wilde, Gilman held that to think of him as, quote, decadent, unquote, was very wrong. It, quote, would be to abet the conspiracy through which our icy, unyielding moral technology maintains its power to settle things to bring complexity to heal, unquote. Gilman agreed with Wilde's comment to a friend in a letter about his condition, which Gilman called, quote, besieged and mysterious, unquote, Wilde had said, quote, I was a problem for which there was no solution, unquote. If good and evil are equal, equally valid or invalid, then there are no solutions to any problems, whether they be Wilde's homosexuality or anything else. If there be no right nor wrong, there can be no answer to any problem, no solutions, and finally, no problems. There can then be no judgment and no answer, hence nothing worth fighting for. This is decadence, and it is very much with us. It is also a basic part of statist education. If God's absolute authority and word do not undergird our education, then there is no solid ground for judgment. 
If the concepts of good and evil, of morality and immorality, of social strength and decadence are invalid and are the refuge of, quote, the shallow, the thoughtless, and monkey minds, unquote, then children and youth and their education are open to all possibilities. Even more, they are directed against biblical faith by the pragmatic or instrumentalist philosophies which undergird status education today. Moral judgment is denied validity, and the student is encouraged to establish his own values, not to follow those of church and family. Education then becomes education for decadence. To yield up one's children to state schools is to surrender them to a major source of decadence. It is noteworthy that state schools teachers in so many cases have their children in Christian schools. In fact, the ratio is twice that of the general population. The belief that education per se is good is wrong. Nazi education and Soviet education are obvious examples of deadly and false schoolings of the child. Education can be for good or for evil. It can strengthen a society or destroy it. To believe that education can neglect the source of all wisdom, the triune God, is to believe that folly and suicide are better than wisdom and life. August 1986 The Freedom to Sin, Chalcedon Position Paper number 78 Some many years ago, a man asked me a rhetorical question, quote, What would you do if you were God? Unquote. He demanded and then proceeded to answer it himself. Quote, I know what I would do, unquote. He continued to tell us what he as God would do, and most of the men agreed. His conclusion was this, because God did not do these things to him so obviously good things, and God is supposed to be all good, God does not exist. The essence of all that he said was very simple. He felt that a good God could not allow men to sin, to make mistakes to wrong themselves and others, and so on and on. In brief, man should not have the freedom to sin. The Garden of Eden was for him no paradise, because at its very center there was a tree to tempt man and destroy him. All our lives, no matter how well-intentioned we are, and no matter how, quote, good, unquote, we are prey to ugly consequences from simple mistakes. For this man... Darwin's struggle for survival and the survival of the fittest was at least an accurate description of life in the world. The human endeavor, he believed, should be to eliminate the problems which frustrate and trip up man by means of intelligent social planning and control. Only so could man create the world which the biblical God refused to create. At the heart of this man's argument was the desire to play God and to prevent man from sinning. It was implicit to his argument that mankind through the state should strive to create the great world community which God refused to create. Naturally, for him, sin was not the problem. It was and is the ugly circumstances and environment which man faces. Humanistic man has tried to save man and the world by works of statist law. I discussed the approaches used in the Chalcedon Report, Numbers 161 through 163, January through March 1979. As I pointed out then, the first step was law as a means of reformation, the salvation of man and society by law. A basic step in this plan was the introduction of the prison system, 
reformatories where men were to be reformed and made into useful citizens. The second step was regulation. Laws used to so control men as to make sinning impossible. In such an order, all men are controlled by various state agencies in order to prevent any outbreak of evil. Prohibition was a major step towards this goal. Gun controls is another. Regulating agencies to police capital, labor, farming, medical practice, and all other spheres of activity are now commonplace attempts to abolish sin. Third step is now in process. Law as means of redistribution and the Internal Revenue Service is important towards this goal. The, quote, evils, unquote, of inequality of wealth and opportunity must be equalized. It is held by the compulsion of taxation, confiscation, and various forms of legalized expropriation. The redistributive state wants a world beyond good and evil, beyond criticism and judgment, a world of total equality, except for the elite rulers. By eliminating the freedom to sin, the modern state becomes progressively more coercive and brutally so. The Gulag Archipelago is the logical conclusion of every attempt by man to play God and to eliminate the freedom of sinning. At root, our political and related problems have their source in man's desire to have a new Garden of Eden without any possible source of temptation and fall. Many of the child-rearing problems which confront modern parents have a like origin. Parents want to spare their children the necessity of being tried and tested, which means that the parents believe in indulgence, not true freedom. True freedom necessitates risk, trials, and temptations. It necessitates the possibility of failure, but it also makes success possible. A risk-free, failure-free world is a world doomed to die. Let us look at this problem a bit further, and theologically so. First, we have seen the status solution. Status men say, let us prevent the possibility of sinning that grace may abound. Of course, the grace here meant is humanistic grace, a beneficent spirit on the part of all men which will create the great world community of men's dreams. In such a faith, grace is a purely negative factor. It is the absence of all opportunity for sinning. It produces an unfree, graveyard society. If such a society could be realized, men would cease to be men. Not surprisingly, some socialistic thinkers have seen this ideal world as one comparable to an anthill or a beehive. Personal consciousness will disappear, and like the ants will subordinate men, will be like the worker ants. Over the centuries, a second answer has arisen repeatedly from heretical sources. Paul summarizes this position in Romans 6, 1. Quote, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Unquote. Antinomianism often flirts with this evil doctrine. Because God is all love and all grace, it has been held Sin draws God's pitying love, grace, and mercy. Before the Russian Revolution, some cults in that country showed evidences of such a belief, as have groups in other areas over the centuries. All such views manifest a mechanistic doctrine of God, as though there is an automatic reaction 
from God to certain conditions. Neither the supposedly no-sinning great community of the states nor the deliberate sinning of Manichaeans and some antinomians can produce grace. It is always the gift of God, and it is sovereign grace. Nothing man can do can produce grace. However, grace in the life of man produces faith and faithfulness, the spirit of obedience to the Lord. Man's law seeks to create a temptation-free world wherein men cannot sin, and it creates instead hell on earth. Man's law has as its goal a naturalistic grace produced by the legalistic abolition of the possibilities of temptation, trial, testing, and failure. But instead of men of grace, it produces human monsters. Quite obviously, men need testing. Adam had the freedom to sin and to pay the price thereof. We too have a like freedom, and we too must pay a price for all of our sins. William Blake, often the source of every heresy, at one point saw the issue clearly when he wrote, quote, I saw the finger of God go forth, giving a body to falsehood, that it may be cast off forever, unquote. Man is made in God's image, but this does not make him a God. It gives him a very great potential for dominion under God, but it also tempts him to play God. However, as Solomon said, quote, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil, unquote. Proverbs 16, 4. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price, and we must therefore serve and glorify God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 What God's permission for us to sin means is that we quickly learn that we are not God's, and that, quote, the wages of sin is death, unquote. Romans 6, 23. We rebel against this knowledge and many suppress it, but we are not usable to the Lord until by His grace we accept the fact of what we are and what we must become in Christ. I was a young man when I first read a line from the concluding portion of James Russell Lowell's poem, quote, Under the Willows, unquote. Lowell spoke of men as, quote, we who by shipwreck only find the shores of divine wisdom, unquote. He was right. It is not our works, nor our self-righteousness that saves us. God shipwrecks us to make us ready for His grace. We live now in an age of judgment which will soon break over us. Scripture makes clear that judgment and salvation go together. The cross is the supreme example of their coincidence. It is the symbol of God's judgment upon us and His grace unto salvation. Without judgment, we would have no hope. The world would then proceed systematically into hell. The freedom to sin in Eden and in the world is God's purpose. By our sins, we know ourselves to be but men, however proud and angry by our sinning. By His grace, we know ourselves to be His creatures, called to be His dominion men, priests, kings, and prophets in His everlasting kingdom. A medieval popular song thanked God for the fall of Adam, concluding thus, quote, Blessed be the time that apple taken was, therefore we may sing in Deo gracias.
Unquote. September 1986. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he assures by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Hello.